0: Well, good morning. How's everyone today? Oh, good. Hope you had a good week. Did you have a good Saturday? That was amazing, right? That was a beautiful day. Called for Dairy Queen, so we went. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have you all here today. Today we we start a short series of messages titled The Grand Story. Uh, Through... This season of Easter I really wanted to talk about and and look over the grand story of of God, uh, specifically upon promise, fulfillment, and completion. Um, It is the greatest story ever told. Who's ever watched that? It's a really good old movie called The Greatest Story Ever Told. It's usually on the Walmart shelves when Easter rolls around, it's I think about a good three-hour movie, kind of like Ben Hur, The Ten Commandments, that just goes along the lines of telling the Passion Week. It's it's really good. I've I watched it once, like way way back in the day. So Ten Commandments, it's it's coming though, right? It's Easter time, so every every Easter I watch Ten Commandments and point out the scenes that aren't biblical, but. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but no, it is the greatest story ever told. It is the the revelation we read. It is the set apart book that tells us of God and of ourselves. As I was thinking of what to speak on for this time, I you know, thought about our world and and even our our church. And we, as a culture, maybe even as a people don't know the grand story of the Bible sure we we know of David and Goliath and Noah and the flood and Moses and 10 commandments Jesus and his wonders but do we see the whole story do we see the the narrative that God is weaving through the years and it's always it's always good to step back in any subject and overview it because it can make matters clear. It can answer questions like, well, why does this matter? And where do all of these working parts fit in? It can help us see why all those details matter. You know, as I think on this subject, I you know, it's it's like the uh, begots, right? Those are the, the best part of our Bible reading programs. We look forward to those, right? No? No? Yeah? Why does that matter? Why does the line of David matter? Why is it traced all the way from Adam all the way to Jesus? It matters. It's a humongous detail. You know, the grand story shows us what we are even a part of. So today we look at promise. Promise is defined as a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. I like Webster's dictionary. <laughs> it's fun to define terms in anything, right? Your promise is a word that we hear today, right? I promise to do this. I promise to pledge. We pledge to provide something to, you know, take our kids somewhere. To go somewhere and do something with someone. And when I hear promise, I think of vows vows that a man and a wife promise themselves to each other they have a wedding where they declare before the Lord and witnesses that they will be true to each other in sickness and in health and in richer and poorer as we look at the Old Testament we see promise from creation to the fall to Abram to Joseph to Moses to David the kings and the prophets we see that God declares re- redemption is coming, hope is coming, a promised one is coming. Well, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Well, Father God, we <clears throat> thank you for today. Thank you for time to just to praise you, to be together, to, to fellowship, to to lift up prayer requests to you and or we just uh, pray that you would be with us in this time as we study your word, as we, as we look over the Old Testament and see your promise that you are coming to deal with everything that has overwhelmed us. We thank you for this time together and be with us, encourage us, equip us, transform us that we may walk in newness of life with you, Lord. In the name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an amazing start to a story, right? We see from the first two chapters of the book of Genesis that God has formed and framed all of creation. The land, the sea, the animals, and their kinds. See, an interesting side note of Genesis is that it does not give us a tree of life. It actually gives us a forest full of different kinds of animals defined and created by God. And then God creates man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And then something happened. A question was entertained and a choice was made one that changed everything. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationships with each other were broken. And as the rest of Genesis shows us, everything else was broken as well. We see this, though. Even though mankind has rebelled and not listened to the word of the Lord, the Lord tells the serpent this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, in between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God wasn't done, right? He had not changed, no, he remains. Creation is that which is in need of redemption. So the Lord comes with the promise of an offspring that he shall crush the serpent. As Genesis continues, we see murder and mayhem so much so (coughs) sorry excuse me so much that the Lord floods the whole world extinguishing all of life but Noah and his family it is the first picture in the Bible of a world headed for judgment it must trust the Lord and shelter in him alone for he alone is hope and the judge is a picture that we see throughout the text of scripture because it is True reality throughout this event, the flood changes the world. Nations are birthed, and languages come from an event in Babel, and then we see the call of Abraham of Abram. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. This is the Lord's call to Abram, the man who would later be named by the Lord, Abraham. And Verses uh, 1 through 3 state this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So from the nations, the Lord called one man to make him a great nation, to bless him and to make his name great so he will be a blessing. The Lord does this so all the families of the earth would be blessed for the offspring is to come, right? He will need a nation to come from. He will need a line of people to come from. That's why all those begots matter. From here, we see Abram walk with the Lord. We see the reaffirmings of the promise that the Lord has made to Abram throughout his life, throughout his son's life, and throughout his grandson's life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs that most of Genesis tells about for they are the foundation of the people of Israel. The last part of Genesis, though, fixes upon Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. Joseph, who was sold into slavery, taken into Egypt and became second in the land. After his ordeal, he tells his brothers this, as they feared for their lives after the death of their father, for they were the ones that had sold him into slavery, right? He says this, For as you, you meant it, evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It not only sums up Joseph's life events, but it sums up the events of Genesis. Evil was meant by one, by the serpent, for all to be destroyed, but God meant it for good. Yes, the world has fallen, broken, and breaking, but there is promise and hope is coming. As you turn the pages to Exodus, you see a whole people, the people of Israel in slavery, growing in number. Pharaoh tries to deal with that, but fails. In this time, Moses was born and hidden and then rescued. He grows up and comes into a calling. The Lord tells him this. He says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. The Lord sent Moses to bring his people out of Egypt, just as he had promised to Abraham a long time ago. Throughout this time in the book of Exodus, we see the ten plagues placed upon Egypt. And at the end, the mighty hand of the Lord brings the people out of Egypt. The next part of Exodus brings us to the building of a nation. Its law is given, the law of Moses is given. By it the world knows we are sinners. For the nation of Israel, it is a covenant promise between them and the Lord, which is conditional. If they keep it, they stay in the land. If they don't, they face exile. Then they are told to build a sanctuary for the Lord, for he would dwell with them. So they build the tabernacle very specifically, right? It's given to Moses, and then it's specifically built again. It's like a double reading at the end of the book of Exodus. But it's, a, it's very important. And next, Leviticus tells how a nation, the people, and the priests of that nation are to approach the Lord, for he is holy. Therefore, sacrifice is needed in his presence. To be in his presence. And this points to the needed one. To the promised one. That he is needed. After the foundations of the nation are set. We see a people rebel against the Lord. Right? They don't want to go into the promised land. For fear of what would happen. And therefore they spend the remainder of their adult lives. In the wilderness. And Joshua and Caleb are the only adult Israelites. Who live to see the promised land. And the book of Numbers tells us of those events, of the 40 years of the wilderness, of different events. And Deuteronomy is Moses' final addresses to the people of Israel. He would not enter the promised land, but he prepared a nation to follow the Lord, to remember all that the Lord had done, and to warn them of what would happen if they had forgotten. That is the foundation. The cool word for it is the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of Moses. Written by Moses. It is the foundation of not only a nation, but of our revelation of the text that we have. It is a framework and is very important as anything in a house, right? The foundation matters, for without it no structure can stand. Well, next comes the books of history. This starts with Joshua a man who led the people of Israel into conquest they fought for the land promised to them by the Lord i love at the at the end of the book what Joshua tells the people he says this now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the, gods of your, the, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, whose land you dwell in. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that statement is very telling because it shows us the struggle in the history of Israel. Will they fear the Lord or will they serve other gods? And each generation must must choose for themselves. And it happens right away. In Judges, we see it as clear as day that people forget God and go their own way time and time again. The book of Judges is summed up with this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In this time, the the people are, are leaderless. So the Lord rose up judges. and those judges would pass away. The people would rebel and calamity would come again and the people would cry out. So the Lord would raise up another judge. This is the cycle through the entire book of Judges. The system would come to a close in the time of Samuel who would anoint the first and second kings of Israel. Both Saul and David were anointed by him. The Lord told Samuel That it was a rejection, not of him, not of Samuel personally, but of the Lord being king over them. But God gave the people what they wanted. They got a king that was in it for himself, Saul. Saul feared the people rather than the Lord. David, on the other hand, would be a king that feared the Lord. Though with his sin and shame his heart was after God's heart. The Lord tells David this about his throne. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. right away... As the Lord spoke to you, that's not just talking about Solomon, right? Solomon's kingdom did not last forever. This promise tells us of the offspring, that he will be from the very line of David, from the tribe of Judah, and that he will reign forever. As the historical books go on, we see that first and second books of Kings and Chronicles tell of kings and prophets and the people. From King Solomon to the captivity, the exile of Judea. They record the deeds of the good kings along with the bad kings, with the battles and sins and everything in between. The last three books of history, Ezariah, Nehemiah, and Esther, tell the Jews during exile. Ezariah and Nehemiah are about the events of restoring the land to the people. The rebuilding of the wall, the temple, and the feeding of the people spiritually, reopening the book. Esther tells of a plot to end the Jews and God's powerful sovereignty in ending that plot. Though if you look at the book of Esther, the Lord's not even mentioned in it. It's actually a peculiar thing. Some of the Protestant reformers actually thought the book of Esther shouldn't be in the Bible because of that. But it's amazing because in this time of darkness... In this time of God being so far from them, he was actually near working in their midst and dealing with this plot. Well, after all of the history books, I like the history books, come the wisdom books. The book of Job deals with suffering and evil. Psalms deal with worship and our daily struggle. They show us how we can approach God at any time in our lives proverbs deals with wisdom applied to life as we spoke this morning about apologetics we saw that all these other wisdoms or world views are built on wisdom out of other things right but our wisdom comes from fearing the lord that is the beginning of wisdom ecclesiastes who likes ecclesiastes ecclesiastes just me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, good. it's a good book because it deals with the vanity of life apart from God. It tells people to know the end of the matter, to seek God, to live by the law, and to not forsake the Lord. And the Song of Solomon deals with love. The historical and wisdom books of the Old Testament give us a lot to learn about humanity, its sinfulness, its rebellious nature and it's seeking of other things other than God. But it also shows us a God who is relentless in his love. He calls the people. He sets them apart. He wants relationship with humanity. And he comes to seek and save us and to redeem us. The last part of the Old Testament are the major and minor prophets. The books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel are labeled major, right, major prophets. And they are labeled this because their books are longer and the content has broader and even global implications, right? If you read them, they're, they're talking about world matters. The books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are called minor prophets. Not because of their size. Some of them are quite large, right? But their books are usually shorter, and their content is mostly narrowly focused because those prophets dealt with Israeli national issues. The prophets shine those promises we see through the Pentateuch and through the historical books and the wisdom books. Isaiah tells us this, that the Lord calls us to reason. That yes, we are sinful, but he alone can cleanse us. Isaiah also tells us more of the promised one, that he will come from a virgin, that he will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. He will be a son given and he will be the prince of peace the Lord called Israel to be a light to all nations but even as the prophets point out they were failing in that calling just as the books of history show us as well but there is one who is able the Lord will overcome and do what he has promised Isaiah tells of him. Well, please turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter fifty-three. I think we should have this one memorized. We, we go here a lot, right? <laughs> and I was like, every time we're in Isaiah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good, a good place to be. Uh, Isaiah fifty-three. I'll read verses four through six. Isaiah states this. Isaiah is the one that informs us that the offspring would be wounded. Just as the Lord had said in Genesis, Isaiah tells of his form of death, that he would be pierced, and what that death would do. It would be a substitution of our sin. The promised one would take our place. See, the puzzle pieces are all there. The promised one is spoken of here and there and that one day it would all come together. Daniel tells us that he is one like the son of man and yet he comes with the clouds of heaven. He is seen and he alone can come before the ancient of days. This man can approach God and be presented to him because he is a blameless one. An old dominion was given to him. Right, This is Daniel 7 13 and 14. It points back to the promise to David, to Abraham, to Adam and Eve that this man would come, that he would defeat the serpent, sin, and death, and that he would sit on the throne and rule forever. But now came the waiting. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And it ends with these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. There it is, right? The Lord will send, the awesome day of the Lord will come. And then Silence. None of us like waiting, right? Who who likes a waiting room? Nobody's hand comes up, right? It's like a four-year-old magazine, too. <laughs> like, when did this happen? Oh, 1985, cool. Okay. But they waited for 400 years. Wars came. Rumors of wars came. New empires raged for control for the land. But the people held on. Through so the Greeks... Then through the Romans, they waited for the dawn to come. The promise is a declaration, an assurance of something to come. It will happen. And as I thought about the subject, I thought about people's walks, people's lives. You know, maybe you have had a lot of broken promises in your life, right? You know, there's things out there. Oh, and maybe we've had too many. And we hear this and we think, well, we'll see. But probably not. Right? With a shrug of our shoulders. But we can see God's track record here. Right? And just look at the overview. Man falls. God is there. Right there to bring the pieces back together. Man rebels and God brings us back, promising to do it, to bring someone in to redeem it all. His anointed one, that with the zeal of the Lord, he would bring humanity home. Promise is a great word when the people when the person behind it is trustworthy, and we can see that God is trustworthy, He is the faithful and true one when he vows it. It is done, and it is coming. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, the Lord, excuse me, the Lord says this: "As for the rain and the snow, come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout." giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And just as God ordered all of creation, so his word goes out and it will not return empty the sovereign's lord the Sovereign Lord's purpose and will and way will happen, and as the saying goes, you can take that to the bank right because it's a sure thing and there's the proof just alone in the Old Testament that the Lord will do what he says he will succeed, his will and way is worth waiting for, and no matter. What we're dealing with, what we see going on in the world, no matter what we're personally struggling with, the hurts and the hang-ups, we can trust Him to follow through on His promises. He has said it, and it will happen. That's a closing word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for this time to to just look through the Old Testament. And see the brokenness and sinfulness and rebelliousness of man, but to also see your glorious grace and your promise that hope is coming. That we can we can wait upon you because your promises are worth waiting for. That we we know the next part, we know what's it's going to take place in in 400 years. As we look at the the history of the Old Testament, we know how Jesus explodes upon the scene, how how angels and messengers come, how how John the Baptist comes. And we look forward to looking at that next week as we celebrate Palm Sunday. But Lord, help us just know that you are trustworthy and true because you will fulfill your promises and you are trustworthy and true. And we can see that through this time. Be with us, Lord, as we sing to you, as we go out upon our day and enjoy this day that you have given us. Guide us and grant us wisdom as we go through our week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.